Well, welcome to Life Church. My name is Dylan Johnston, and I'm the youth pastor here. It is so good to be here today. And uh, as our pastor mentioned, he's all the way in Thailand this weekend. He is getting to be a part of literally taking the gospel, the good news of Jesus, around the corner and around the world. And I just got to say, I'm supremely grateful to be on staff at a church and to be on staff under a pastor that cares not just about local, uh, the immediate church that, that supplies his ability to live and do what he does, but cares about the church worldwide, Big C Church, Capital C Church, around the corner and around the world, seeing lives changed and souls saved for the kingdom of God, seeing the good news of what Jesus has done spread all around the world. Can we celebrate our pastor, Pastor Aaron, this morning, and his wife, Miss Tammy? Thank you so much for all that y'all do. It is an honor, honor, honor to serve on this staff, as well as to get to speak this morning. Thank you, Pastor Aaron, for giving me the opportunity to speak. I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I, um, I, I've always loved being on stage. And, and some of you, that's like your worst nightmare. For me, it was like one of the things I loved the most. Uh, even from like being a little kid and being in church productions, there's this... this um, this video on Facebook that my grandma and my mom cycle through every now and again, uh, where, where I'm uh, dressed as an angel. Well, it's fitting, right? Like, it makes sense. Uh, it, play, it, was, it was typecasting. I get it. Um, where I, I was dressed as an angel, and I come up to belt out, and heaven and, and nature sing, and I'm just at the top of my lungs, and it sounds terrible, but the crowd went wild. At least in my memories, the crowd went wild. I don't know uh, what they were actually. Listen, no kid is really that good of an actor, let's be honest. Like, I was bad, but I thought it was amazing. I grew up. I was, in, I was in church plays. I was in plays in middle school. I was in plays in high school, and I loved being in theater. Maybe it was um, even, like, I, I, in high school, I was doing these, like, speech competitions, and I, I would do it at the district and the state level and the national level. And, like, it was, I, I loved being on stage. If I'm being quite honest, I just love the attention, right? <laughs> Listen, I know, like, you're not used to some guy on stage admitting this, this quickly, two minutes into the message, that he loves attention. But let's just get it out there, right? Just right out the bat. That's why I did it. That's why I was a little kid on stage, prancing around, singing my lungs out, because I loved the attention. And it was more than just a stage, right? Like, this, this trickled down into the very uh, most minuscule parts of my life. Like, I'd be playing a video game. And um, I'd be playing a video game, a sports game, because that's what I played as a kid, because I was bad at all video games. This, these made me feel good, because you could put the, the setting on easy. Um, and so I, I'd be playing a video game. Mom would be doing work, because that's what parents do when you're a kid. All you, think, all you think your parents do is work. So like my mom was working somewhere in the house, and I'd, I'd yell at her, Mom, Mom, come here. She'd rush in thinking it's an emergency. She'd be like, what, what, what's going on, Dylan? What's, what's happening? And I was just, ah, you just got to see this replay. This is an amazing play. And she's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, this doesn't matter. Or maybe it's doing the Christmas puzzle and like, I've got the final piece. I'd picked it up off the ground because you always knock one on the ground and you don't find it to the very end. Picked it up off the ground. I'm about to place the final piece. You call everyone to come and watch as you complete the masterpiece or, or being at the dinner table and everyone's telling their story regarding a subject and it's my turn to tell a story and so I hush the crowd. Stop eating, put the chips down. I got a story to tell. Like, that I always wanted, I wanted someone to pay attention. I wanted the, the, the approval. I wanted people to, 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 to notice what I was doing. 
In fact, you've probably heard of um, you've probably heard of the five love languages, right? Like, if you haven't and you're in a relationship, you probably should check it out. You'd understand some things more. Um, but but one of those one of those love languages is words of affirmation, and that's my favorite one, right? Like, because I always want to be told that I'm doing a good job. I always want to be told I'm dressed well. I always want to be told I look good, even if you're lying, right? Like, just tell me, right? Like, I, I don't understand the people that walk up to you and say things like this. Are you tired? You, you just look a little, are you, are you sick? Like, is that, you look sick. Oh, thanks. Like, I know I look sick, right? Like, I know I look tired. I know I fell asleep at 2 a.m., woke up at 5.30 a.m. I know that I haven't been getting enough sleep. I know that I didn't drink more than eight cups of coffee this morning, so I haven't had enough. Like, I get it. I know I'm tired. I look gross. I get it. Just lie. I'm just kidding. I can't say that. I'm, on, I'm in church. I'm on stage. Uh, don't lie. Tell the truth. I, I, I once preached a message at my dad's church. I was working there as a secretary part-time during the week. And one weekend he gave me the opportunity to speak on a weekend. And so I, was, uh, I I'd preached on the weekend. And then I was working there Monday morning um, doing all of the, the data entry stuff. And uh, an older gentleman walks into the office and he's bringing his tithe check in. God bless his soul. And um, he, he, he comes in and he looks at me and he kind of pauses for a second. He says, you know what? You're getting better. And in my mind, I'm like, what do you mean getting better? Better from what? Better from bad? Better from terrible? Because you can improve. You can be getting better from terrible and move to the, the, the area of bad, right? You can be getting better from bad and move to the area of, like, mediocre at best. But he just said you're getting better. Listen, everyone longs for the approval, the attention, and the accolades uh, that, that others are able to give. If we're all being honest here today... I think to some degree, we're all chasing after that. We've been in a series for three weeks now. This is our fourth and final week called Chasing Carrots. And this whole series has been about how we as people often find ourselves chasing after things to fulfill our lives, to bring us, to bring us fullness, to bring us life, to bring us joy, to bring us uh, to, to, to bring us to completion, if you will. Like, uh, we, we've talked about money and we've talked about um, our, our, how our lives can be centered around that and chasing after status and chasing after money and chasing after all of these things. Today, I just want to take a moment and talk about chasing after approval. Uh, because I think if we're all honest and we're all just going to just kind of strip back away from, from our fronts and take off the facades today, I think if we're all honest, we all want to be approved of. We all want someone to recognize that we did a good job. We all want someone to pay attention. We all want, um, in our relationships, we all want to be told, hey, thanks for doing that. We all want at our job for our bosses to be like, hey, good job. Here's your, here's your Christmas bonus. We all want in our homes, parents, you want your kids to approve of you. I know you probably don't say you want that, but like you want them to look up to you. You want them to, to long to be like you. You want to, them to approve of you. Kids, I know you don't think it in the room, but you want your parents' approval. You do. Whether you believe it or not, you strive for that. There's subconsciously stuff worked together inside of you to long for the approval of your, we're all chasing approval. And I think in this life, the approval of others isn't bad, but if we continually chase after it, we can reach a point where we chase after it at risk of letting go of God. And I know that sounds a bit dramatic, but uh, I think if we take a look here in John chapter 12, where, where we will be spending our time this morning, we'll see that there's people in the Bible and there's people in our lives, maybe even ourselves, who are at this moment where we risk letting go of God to chase after the approval 
of others. Here in John chapter 12, Jesus has been in this whole ministry thing for a minute now. He's been traveling and speaking. He's uh, been, been, been preaching. He's been doing miracles, some, um, some, some awesome miracles, healing the blind, healing the lame. He, he's already walked on water. He's already multiplied the food. That's my favorite miracle of all time. Like, come on, God, just multiply the food. That's amazing. He, he's already been doing all of these miracles, wowing the masses, wowing the crowds, speaking to thousands upon thousands of people. And here we find Jesus gaining a following, gaining the influence, gaining the popularity, and it's getting to a point where people are beginning to wonder, maybe he's just more than a good teacher, maybe he's just more than the prophet, maybe he's just more than a miracle worker, perhaps just possibly, maybe could he be the one whom the prophets from long ago used to talk about? Could he be Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Savior of the world, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, the one who was to come, is here now, and will come again? Could this just maybe be him? And so people are beginning to believe this and follow him. And even leaders of the synagogue, the church of the day, were beginning to follow what he said. And yet a lot of those leaders, though they wanted to believe in Jesus, were confronted with, was it risk losing the approval of people in the process? And here in John chapter 12, we're faced with that exact predicament. And so if you would, in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 42... It says this, yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. These two verses, though, though, though small in, in I guess, amount, they, they have a lot to say, I think, about our lives. They have a lot to say about the shameful behavior of the leaders then. And if we will allow it, I think they reveal to us some of the uh, things and the tendencies that we tend to chase in human approval rather than chasing after God. And so I just want to reveal to us about three things today, um, and, and out of those three things, pull some, some application points for us about uh, chasing approval in this life and what it does to us. I think first and foremost, the reason we chase approval is because we fear rejection. We fear rejection. In this verse, that's exactly what it said about these leaders of the synagogue, is that they, they, they wanted to believe in Jesus, they wanted to follow him, but they feared that the Pharisees would reject them and kick them out of the synagogue. You, you need to know that, that really when it come, came to being kicked out of the synagogue, there were really two, two levels of it. You, it was either like a, a 7 to 30 day ban where you're literally kicked out from the community or it's a lifetime ban. And, and that would vary depending on your offense. Now, now, synagogue wasn't just like a come once a week kind of deal. It wasn't just this uh, this like church-like function where you got in late, you left early. I'm not calling anybody out. Please promise. I'm not, just trust. Uh, like it wasn't one of those situations. The synagogue was the community, right? Like the synagogue was where your family was, your friends were. Everybody gathered there. That was the community. No one wanted to be kicked out of that. And yet, this is where we find the leaders of the synagogues, uh, of the synagogue of the day, faced with: Will we chase after Jesus or? risk being rejected. You see, no one likes rejection. 
I mean, if we're all honest, no one wants to be rejected. No one wants to sit alone at the lunch table, whether you're 15 at Germantown High School or whether you're, you're working at, at your, your job and you're a high-level officer there at the, at, the, at the job and you're eating in the break room all by yourself and you're like, but I'm an introvert. Yeah, 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 but you can only introvert for so long before you need companionship. Or, or maybe you get rejected by the guy or the girl or maybe it's a fresh breakup and no matter how often you want to say it was mutual we all know it wasn't right like we get it it wasn't mutual it wasn't both of you there was one of you that wanted to break up maybe it was not getting the job being turned down for the promotion being denied the raise being denied for the scholarship not getting into the school you wanted to being rejected from your family because of your beliefs or your life's decisions no one wants to be rejected There's a psychologist, his name is Guy Winch. He has a TED Talk out there. He says this about rejection. He says, rejections are the most common emotional wound we can sustain in our daily life. Our risk of rejection used to be limited by the size of our immediate social circle or dating pools. But today, thanks to electronic communications and social media platforms, each of us is connected to thousands of people, any of them, any of whom might ignore our posts, chats, texts, and leave us feeling rejected. As a result, see, rejection's real. He goes on to talk about rejection and talk about how scientists had an experiment where they wanted to study what does rejection do. And so they put two, two, test, or two lab assistants and a test subject in a waiting room. And they told the test subject that they were in the waiting room to, before they'd come in to be a part of the experiment. Well, in the waiting room, there was also a tennis ball. And one of the lab assistants would pick up the tennis ball and throw it to the other lab assistant. That lab assistant would throw it to the test subject, who would then in turn throw it back to one of the lab assistants. But this is where it changed. The lab assistants then began to throw the ball back and forth, excluding the test subject altogether. It went on like that for a while, leaving the test subject completely out of the loop until finally the test subject was called in to where they thought the experiment would begin. And it was in that moment they began to be asked questions about what they just experienced. And I know, I get it, like this seems very childish, right? Like this is a simple game of keep away. No one wants to be kept, no one wants to not be a part of the game. But, but, but even in this so, so, like even in this small experiment that reveals to us little things from our childhood that, that we experience, all of these people, every single one of the test subjects expressed that they experienced feelings of rejection and emotional pain. I get it. Like, this is, this is ridiculous. It's a tennis ball. They're lab assistants. They were in on the joke, bud. Right? Like, it's a prank. And yet, scientists begin to study what rejection does to our minds, and they hooked people up to MRIs, and as they experienced rejection, they began to see that the same pathways that light up when you experience physical pain also light up when you experience rejection. Because it's real. And I know that there's some people in this room today that have experienced far, far, far more rejection. And these feelings are far too real today. These leaders of the synagogue wanted to follow Jesus, but they didn't want to experience this pain of rejection. This wasn't the first time that... This had been the case. In fact, there was a moment earlier in the book of John, John chapter 9, in fact, where Jesus healed a man who was born blind. And the the man born blind starts going around the city proclaiming that this man healed him. Jesus healed him. And he's telling people about it. And the Pharisees confront him and his family. And they say, hey, to the parents, they say this in John chapter 9, verse, uh, verse 19. They said, is this your son? 
who you say was born blind, then how does he see? In verse 20, his parents answered, we know that this is our son. Good job. You acknowledge it's your son, right? Like great step one as parent. Uh, We acknowledge that this is our son and he was born blind, but we don't know how he can now see. We don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. And while that doesn't sound bad, John then proceeds to put the parents on blast. And in the very next verse, John writes, His parents said this because they were afraid of the elders who had already decided that anyone who said Jesus was Christ would be avoided. You want to tell me rejection isn't real or... Uh, Maybe you you should just get over it. No, no, no. These people were risking being completely ostracized from all of the society that they currently knew at the day. And it was, will you acknowledge Jesus or will you experience rejection? Both times, the people, both in John chapter 12, verse 42, and in John chapter 9, verse 20, both times the people chose to avoid rejection but risk rejecting Jesus in the process, which begs the question, What are we willing to reject in order to avoid rejection? What are you willing to to reject in order to avoid rejection? I think often in our lives we attempt to remedy rejection with the placating praise of others, the the praise that will level us out. Why? I think it's it's very easy, and we see it here in John chapter 12. We love praise. Like just easy out there. We love praise. It says in John chapter 12 verse 43 that they love the praise of people. They love the praise. And before we get too judgmental about these leaders in the synagogue, that they love the praise of people. And so they allowed the, 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 the Pharisees to um, kind of influence their decision. Before we get too judgmental, let's be reminded that we have a whole social system built on the praise of others. Our social media, our entire social system is built on likes, comments, subscribers, followers, friends, reactions, retweets, upvotes, shares, quote tweets, and views. They're the basis for which brands and lives have been built. And the more praise you get, the more influence you get, the more your circle grows, the more praise in turn you get. And it's this endless cycle of praise. And if we're not careful, we'll quickly allow that to jump from our screens to our lives and we'll fall victim to the disease to please. Where we go around living our daily lives attempting to please anyone and everyone, not wanting to hurt anybody's feelings or step on anybody's toes. We just want to please people. We just want people to feel good. But inevitably, we'll allow it to control us and what we do. Do you know that Instagram has tested out along with Facebook and Twitter, removing your ability to see how many likes and who has liked other people's posts? Like that you would be on social media and see their posts and yet not see who has reacted or how many reactions they've gotten? Because social media uh, directors and, and CEOs and the people in the top offices are beginning to understand that there's a certain pressure, there's a certain weight, there's a certain amount of, uh, of, of responsibility built up within you that when we see other people experience this praise, we desire it to such a degree we can fall victim very quickly to the disease to please. It's a dangerous thing to catch. When I was 
2021 and 22, I got to travel with uh, a, a guy in, in Texas, and we would go around doing school assemblies. And one of the things I got to talk about was like dreaming big. And I would always talk about how there were like three main voices that are going to speak to your dreams in your life. There were going to be uh, your, your, your um, the, the haters in your life, as pastor would say, you just got to shake, shake, shake them off. There's going to be those that are good voices, and I'd always be like, hey, these are your coaches, your teachers, these are your principals, these are your parents, these are the community leaders, these are all those people that are going to help you achieve the goals that you set for yourself. But there was always one voice I mentioned in those school assemblies and in those talks, and I called it the grandma voice. I called it the grandma voice. And the reason I called it the grandma voice is because in my life, my grandma sees that I can do no wrong. And she's right, right? Like she's correct about that. But I think all of us in our lives have a grandma voice. It's the, it's, it's the person that'll hear you hit one note on key for the first time and think you should go on American Idol, okay? Like that's why shows like that exist because we have a grandma voice in our life that keep feeding what we think we want to hear the only issue is if we allow that to be the main voice in our life, the moment it's removed, our whole platform will crumble. After we'd finish these school assemblies, all the students would begin filing out, and typically there'd be a few that'd come up and say, hey, good job, that was a wonderful thing, really touched my life, that was amazing, that was great, that was awesome, cool, whatever. So we'd continue, we'd, uh, our, uh, all of this stuff, and we'd tear down, and we'd get in the truck, and uh, the guy who would lead the school assemblies would, would turn around before he pulled out of the parking lot, would look us in the eye, and would say, I, I don't know about y'all, but here's what I'd do, and here's what I'd encourage you to do. When I get those compliments after those school assemblies, and after I go and preach places, and teach places, and talk, I, here's what I'd do. I let those compliments go in one ear, out the other, I throw them on the ground, and I stomp all over them. And I know that might seem a little harsh at first. And I, I, I began to, like I remember at a 20, as a 20-year-old, like, wait, 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 like, these are, they're complimenting you. That's good. You should feel good. Like, this should feel like you feel after eating a good Thanksgiving lunch. You should feel good, completely filled, go take a nap, and it should be awesome, man. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. If you allow that to stay in your brain, you'll inevitably begin to succumb to what they're saying about you, and you will think that you are better than you actually are. He said, you are never as good as you, uh, as you think you are on your best day, and you're never as bad as you think you are on your worst day. He says to me, he says to me, you cannot allow other people build up who you are. Are, for if you do, you will never be true to the core of who you were created to be. I said, okay, keep talking. He said, when I get introduced to speak at places, this took a long time for me to put this into practice, he said, but he said, when I get introduced to speak at places, when they begin to tell who's going to come out to speak, and they'd say, oh, he's the best. Oh, he, he's an author. He spoke to thousands of students across the state of Texas, tens of thousands of students since he began doing these school assemblies and preaching in churches. He, he's spoken all over the country. When I began to hear that time and time again, I realized that there was some unhealthy thing about it, and so I began to plug my ears with my fingers until it was my time to go out, and when it was my time to go out, I went out and did my thing, and I killed it, but I knew I wasn't going to allow what they said about me to build me up or tear me down. I wasn't going to be ruled by who they declared me to be. In fact, he, he would often do this thing where after he would be introduced, he'd come out, and he would right off the bat begin to talk about how mediocre he is. Uh, not, not because he, he, he thought he was terrible at anything, not because he thought he wasn't good. No, 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 he was obviously very good at what he does. 
But he wanted to be reminded. He wanted to be reminded he's not as good as what he thinks he is on his best day, and he's not as bad as what he thinks he is on his worst day. You see, Jesus didn't bow to this praise of people either. In fact, one-third of his parables centered around money and how to handle it properly. And if we're being quite honest, money's not the most popular church talk, right? One-third of his parables. This is the same man, Jesus, that ran up into the, into the temple and flipped over tables and kicked people out for treating the temple of God poorly. This is the same Jesus that when people come up to him wanting to follow him, and he said, come and follow me. And then they said, but wait, i got to go do something. He said, no, 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 you can't treat me as a side chick. I'm the main piece. If you're going to follow me, follow me and leave it all else behind. It's the same Jesus that, that he was the one that would constantly put Pharisees in their place and make people choose. Are you going to choose popularity or are you going to choose to follow me? For what following me is, is laying down all that you want and your life in order to take up your cross and follow me. You see, Paul gets this. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote two-thirds of the books of the New Testament, he, he writes in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. And then he says something incredibly convicting that blows my mind. He says this, If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So then I have to ask myself, is my main goal pleasing people? Because if so, according to Paul, I am not a servant of Christ. I find that the praise of people is really easy to give way to in chasing after approval, especially when we don't trust what God has already said about us. We can find ourselves chasing after the approval of others because we fail to trust what God has already said about us. In fact, that's the contrast made in John chapter 12, verse 42 and 43, is that these leaders of the synagogue loved the praise of people more than they loved the praise of God. But I've got good news for you today. God has something to say about you. And it's not just something he said uh, like yesterday or the day before or when you were doing your best. No, no, no. God has something to say about you. And it's over and over in the scripture. God affirms and reaffirms who you are in him. And the beauty of that approval is that God is, uh, of the approval of God is that it's not based on who we are or what we've done, but it's all based on him. If you don't believe me, I, I want you to check this out because all throughout the scripture, I promise you, all throughout the scripture, God is speaking over our lives. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. 1 John 3, 1 says that you are a child of God. Zephaniah 3, 17 says that he takes delight in us and rejoices in us. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world, meaning God so loves you. Not just like a fat kid loves chocolate cake. No, no, God so loves you. It's such a love that he would send his only son to, to die in your place that you could have life and have it to the the fool. According to Ephesians chapter 5, you are no longer in darkness, but light in his son Jesus. Walk then as a child of the light. According to Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world, a city set on the hill. According to 2 Peter chapter 1, he has called you. According to Revelation chapter 17, he has chosen you. According to Romans, Acts, 1 Peter, and 2 Timothy, you are now a saint, a servant, a steward, and a soldier. According to Acts chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2, you are a witness 
and a worker. According to 1 Corinthians 15, through Jesus, you are victorious. According to Romans chapter 8, you have a glorious future. According to Philippians chapter 3, you are a citizen of heaven. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you are an ambassador of Christ. And according to Isaiah 43 verse 1, you are redeemed, called by name, and you are his. I don't know what other people are saying about you. But I know what God says about you. I don't know what you're going to be talked about at work. I don't know what the rhetoric's like in your home. But I know what my God says. And my God has chosen you. He's called you out of darkness and into his glorious light. He's called you from death to life. Out of your old ways and into the new ways. I don't know what other people are saying about you. The praise of other people is fleeting. It's here one day, gone the next. It'll quickly build you up and yet when removed, quickly let you crumble. But the praise of God, the approval, the acceptance of God is one that withstands. When I was a kid, I would find myself just doing mundane tasks and it'd be eating a bowl of cereal or watching television, Cartoon Network. Or maybe it was just getting ready for bed. Or something just very minuscule in life. My dad would enter the room, look at me and says, Son, I love you and I'm proud of you. When you're eight, you don't really understand what he's doing. I'd laugh, look back at my father and say, I'm proud of you too, Dad. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know why he was saying it. Just thought it was cute. So over and over, my father would come to me and say, I'm proud of you. And it wasn't when I had just hit the winning shot of the game. It wasn't when I had, I had just won the competition. It wasn't when I had just gotten the massive scholarship, got accepted to my school. Or it wasn't when I, I had just done something amazing or achieved something great or gotten all A's. No, no, no. It was in mundane, basic moments where my father came and reminded me. I didn't realize it so much later. And I know that I'm not that old still. I'm just 27. But I look back and now I can see that my father was reminding me of who I was to him. He was proud. And it wasn't because of what I was about to accomplish. It wasn't because of my achievements or my lack thereof. No, no, no. He was proud, not because of who I was, but because of whose I was. And I was his. And that's what I feel like our Father in heaven is saying over you today. He's proud of you. He's proud of you. And you may think, uh, you don't know what last week was like. If we're just going by strict numbers here, that he's not going to be that proud. No, 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 no. He's proud of you. Uh, but but my, my marriage is barely hanging on by a thread. I don't think he's proud. No, no, no. He's proud of you. No, 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 uh, Dylan, I, I don't think you understand. My kid doesn't even follow Jesus or believe what I believe anymore. How could he? No. He's proud of you. Because God's approval is not based on what you can or can't do. 
God's approval is not based on your achievements. God's approval is not based on your accolades or your trophies. No, no, no. All of that is, is just dust. The, 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 a writer in the New Testament says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Even your good deeds are but filthy rags when measured up against what he's done for you. All of that goes to the side. God's proud of you simply because of who you are. Well, not because not of who you are, but because of whose you are. I go back to the book of Genesis and I see that when God created a man and woman, he created a man and woman in his image. Meaning when God looks at you and I, he doesn't just see you. He doesn't just see a cute man that's losing his hair. He doesn't just see a, a, a young kid who's trying to be stylish and wear pants too tight. No, no, no. He sees an image of himself within you and he's proud of you and he approves of you and he accepts you. My encouragement today is not just to leave these doors and live this happy-go-lucky life not caring what anyone else says but my encouragement is to leave here today and remember remember what he's already said remember what he says about you remember that he's called you by name he's chosen you and he's destined you for a hope and for a future remember one of my favorite movies of all time the original Lion King I know, like, the, the newest Lion King's pretty good and all, but, like, the OG's got it. It just hits different, man. It's good. There's this moment in the animated movie Lion King where little animated Simba's walking out into the jungle. He's kind of on this, been on this identity crisis. He's been searching for who he was at the core. and ah, Kind of been lost for a minute gets out there and he begins to hear the voice of his father and his father says a few things but specifically he says these words I want to, uh, to, to let you hear today. He says this, remember who you are. You are my son. I'm telling you at 27 years, every time I watch that scene, I cry. Because as a preacher I have this chronic disability where every time I watch a movie or read a book I see like the story of Jesus in it. And so like I'm watching this and I'm like, oh God, you're reminding me who I am. I'm your son. And I think what God's saying to us today is remember who you are. I love that he doesn't right after that say, ah, here, here's, your, here's your list of accomplishments. Here's your list of how great, here's your potential. No, no, no. He says, remember who you are. You are my son. Today, remember who you are. You are a son or daughter or daughter of the Most High King. You are a son or daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are a son or daughter of the one who came to this earth in the form of a baby, lived a perfect and blameless life, died a death you and I can never die to pay a price that you and I can never pay, that we could have life and have it to the Remember whose you are. And here's the best news. The approval of God sets us free from the disease to please. And when you believe this truth, it truly changes everything. It means you can wake up every morning 
You can make declarations of faith and you can live them out by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like every morning you can wake up and say things like this, because I am his, I won't obsess over what other people think. Because I belong to Christ, I will stand up for what I believe in because I am accepted. I will say yes to what God wants me to do and say no to the rest. Because I am accepted, no one and nothing can steal my joy. No one can talk me out of my purpose. No one can stop me from doing what God has called me to do because I am his and he approves of me whether anyone else does or not I am approved of I am loved I have been chosen and you can roll out of bed go brush your teeth take yourself a nice shower and get on your way because you know that regardless of what else happens that day regardless of how much crumbles that day You are approved of, you are loved, and you are cared for. And that's where true lasting approval comes from. Approval free of rejection and placating praise, but full of steadfast promises that will never leave us nor forsake us. It's the approval of our Father in heaven. Would you bow your heads with me today? Lord, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for approving of us. Not because of what we did or didn't do. Not because of who we are or how special we are. But God, your approval is because of whose we are. And we're yours. Our lives have been radically changed by the life, death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And because of that, You approve of us. So I pray today that whoever came into this room carrying the heavy burden, the heavy weight of chasing praise and approval from others, I pray today that it would be lifted, that they would be freed, that they would experience the warmth of a hug of a father who reaches down and wraps them in the everlasting love, wraps them in the everlasting arms of you regardless of their situations, regardless of their family, regardless of their socioeconomic status, their gender, their race, their color, doesn't matter. God, you approve of them, you care about them, and you love them. And Lord, we thank you for that today. We celebrate your goodness and your mercy and your grace. We give you all glory and honor and praise, and we acknowledge you as our Father. We acknowledge you as a loving God. And we thank you for approving and caring for us. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we give you all glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name.